This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Mr. Hamilton, good day, sir. What the hell is your dog doing in the background, man? He's just being a dog. Yeah. He's just doing his thing. My dog doesn't do shit uh, like that, but anyway, <laughs> just going nuts on a blanket. Yeah. Yeah. As one does. Uh, so awesome podcast. This one, we invite Madeline Damask oh, to the show. Maddie, Maddie. Uh, gotta call her Maddie. Maddie Damask. Okay. Well, <laughs> AKA she, as, as she says, Matt, AKA Maddie. Yeah. Um, and, uh, just, uh, if you want to see an accomplished hunter, um, yeah, you're you're going to look uh, far and wide to try and find someone to match. Uh, there's not too many people out there that have, have done what she's done, certainly at her age. And, and as you'll as you'll hear in the podcast, where I'm not going to spoil it, but uh, she's accomplished a lot at a very young. age. Oh yeah, one of the most uh, accomplished female hunters in the world. Just incredible. I've had the the pleasure to talk to her before on another podcast and just knew was a right fit for for this one so got to kind of talk a little bit different direction than we did with one campfire podcast and get into hunting on this side and wow just awesome Uh, yeah uh, there's a cover photo for wild sheep foundation it's probably one of the best i've seen in in a long time um i think it's her on the cover with a mark just absolutely stunning just a beautiful photo Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, we, we talk about Daryl Hosker on the podcast and Daryl, he's like, that's the way a field photo is done. You know, it's just absolutely immaculate. It couldn't be a better photo and just, you know, truly honoring the animal. Uh, it's a, it's a, just an absolute monarch, a giant markor and just a, yeah, just an absolute, uh, beautiful picture and very fitting. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah. Don't even know what else to say to that. It's just perfection in a photo, right? classily done and well deserving of the cover yeah absolutely so yeah you know enjoy this podcast it's very interesting listen uh maddie's hunted all over the world um she's one of the most accomplished sheep hunters that that i know and um just just a pleasure list uh, she this fall she's going on her fourth finales in uh, northern british columbia so she's um you know 27 years old she's she's killed a lot of shit and just a, a fantastic uh hunting career Oh, Not she's. Spur, but. She, <laughs> I don't even know what what to say to that. She's got her Ovis World Slam Super Twenty, uh, as you said, working on the fourth Fanaz, and yeah, and is uh, working on being a international conservation lawyer as well. So she she's given back. It's yeah, it's refreshing to see. It really is. We're pretty lucky to have her on 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 our side. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely, pretty cool. Uh, okay, so uh, for for all you BC sheep guys and gals out there, it's uh, just under two weeks to the opener. So mm-hmm. here we are. This is coming out July twentieth, and uh, yeah, ten days or so, and and people will be out in the mountains chasing sheep around for the opener. So um, anyone that's needing a bit of a refresher, if you go to the wildsheepsociety dot com, and right on the homepage there, there's a black box that says Horn and Aging Education. Uh, Bill Jex has done a video for us there. It's 37 minutes. Just take the time to refresh it. I'm going to watch it before I go out in the field. I'm not going until September, but um, there's some good info there. Even if you're an experienced person, and certainly if it's your first sheep hunt, um, take the opportunity to to review that. Um, And we're just really encouraging to, you know, 
make sure that you're comfortable with your shot when you're out in the field. Uh, we don't want a repeat of last year. We've talked about it lots in the show about way too many underage or uh, not full curl, quote, illegal rams that were harvested mm-hmm. last year. So uh, let's let's show the world that we're, we're better than that. Let's not have a repeat of last year. So take the time, get over to the website, check out that video. Uh, Bill does a great job on teaching you, you know, um, you know what you should be harvesting, things to think about in the field, and it's not just uh, as I've said before, um, you know, whether it's legal or not, is it ethical? Mm-hmm. You know, if there's if there's two rams and they're both legal and that's it, do you want to be you know removing both those rams? Does it make sense to do that? Um, I don't know. Uh, just again, some things to think about. Get over to the website and check it out. Yeah, remove that that little semblance of doubt. If there is one, don't. Right. So we've, as you said, we've, we've harped on this a ton of times and we're going to continue to do it until things change. Cause we, we have that power to, to stop shooting the illegal ramps, no matter what the reason, if they're underage or if they're below full curl or whatever. So take that, take that lever away and leave it in the best hands of science. So, no regulations being pulled. Absolutely. And yeah, just for you again, you know, this is a reminder of myself as much as everyone else. Um, you know, you know, the regs change, there's things that, you know, they, they changed a, a rule around the incisor tooth, I think for, um, for sheep at one point. Um, so just take the time, look over the regs before you get out in the fields. Um, you know, I'm certainly going to take, uh, the time to review, uh, the, the regs and just, it's always a good idea. Just, uh, I know I'm telling you to suck rocks, but at the end of the day, just make sure, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that we're well representing our, our wild sheep community and that we're, we're not the, the blemish like we were this last year with all the stuff that went on around wild sheep. So, yep. Cool. Okay. What you need for that is good optics. And do we have a good optics deal for you? Tell us about our raffles. <laughs> oh, okay. Nice segue. I'm like, where the hell are you going with this? Yeah. So, uh, we do have a, a Zeiss optics package. Um, and you're right. It is a great deal. Um, tickets are 50 bucks. Uh, here's the downside. We're literally almost sold out. I think, uh, I'm looking at it right now as of, uh, we're recording this on a Monday and, and we're going live Wednesday. We got about 30 tickets left. So, um, yeah, if you're going to get some tickets, you better do it now, but we got a wicked stone glacier package and we're going to draw that at the Jurassic classic in three weeks time. It's in, uh, the second week of August and we're going to draw this Zeiss package so you can have it. If you're going for the opener, sorry, you're not going to have it, but you'll have it if you're going to do a late season hunt or mid season. And the Stone Glacier package, it's a great setup, like five grand worth of Stone Glacier gear. And it's a sweet, sweet deal from our conservation partner, Stone Glacier. Absolutely, it is. And I, I keep buying tickets for it because, as I've said before, I need another backpack. Like I need a hole in the head, but I, I need another backpack. So. Well, that one's nice. It's soup to nuts, right? It's oh, yeah. got a uh, sleeping bag. It's got, um, you know, all the Stone Glacier gear. It's got everything you need and the pack, of course, too. So, yeah, you're going to be set up for the mountain. You don't need much more gear after that once you win that. It's got, a, I think it's got a tent in it as well and stuff. So, um, anyone that needs tickets over to wildsheepsociety.com, top right box says raffles. Click on that thing and you'll get yourself sorted. Um, and, um, we will have some new stuff for you as we always do coming up shortly. We can't say anything until we have our licenses all sorted. So I can't give you details, but suffice to say, um, mid August, take a look back on the website. You'll see some stuff you're going to really like. Absolutely. So, Perfect way to end it right there. With that. Yeah. Uh, we're off to episode 83 with Maddie. There you go. Mask. 
and uh, enjoy just uh, uh, great listen, great people. The Damaski family are, are really great people. Um, I've had the honor of working with uh, Maddie's mom, Jan. Uh, mm-hmm. She serves on our One Campfire commi- uh, Committee for the Wild Sheep Society of BC. And just a great family that oh. supports conservation yeah. to the nth degree. Yeah. Jan's one of my most favorite people in the world. And I tell her that constantly. So she'll hear this and hear it again. So awesome. And you say that to me too. I feel so jaded. Oh, sorry. You cut out there. What was that? Episode 83 with Maddie Damaski. Enjoy. Across Canada and throughout the world, if you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop, or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Good afternoon, I guess, for you, Maddie. Welcome to Talk is Sheep. How are you guys? It's still morning here, so... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so where are you? Where, I'm doing great. Um, doing really well. How about you? Things are good. I think, uh, you know, just hot here. So, but that's okay. Okay. So for our listeners, where's, where's here? Oh yeah. Sorry. I guess I should have said that. Um, I'm in uh, Windsor, Colorado currently. So just moved back here about shoot a year ago now. I didn't realize that it's quite been that long until I uh, saw my Instagram memories the other day. Yeah, that stuff sneaks up on you pretty quick, doesn't it? It's a year is nothing, it seems like, these days. It just goes like that. Well, and then especially with everything going on, you just kind of forget. And yeah, it's it's crazy, that's for sure. Yeah, awesome. Okay, cool. So I'm hoping today we can talk some wild sheep hunting. Um, you know, just, uh, you know, Steve and I have been I just on the phone with him and, and, uh, we, we, we know what you've done and, uh, but I think you could do a better job of, of talking a little bit about that, uh, than we can. So I guess, uh, you know, for, for our listeners that maybe don't know who you are, and I know a lot of people in the wild sheep world know who you are, but, uh, for those that maybe aren't familiar, let's just, can you give us a 40,000 foot view of who you are? Um, you know, just a, just a high level overview and, and we'll get into the nuts and bolts of the hunting part of it a bit. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Madeline Damoski. I go by Maddie. Um, I'm Colorado native, born and raised, lived here most of my life, lived in Montana for a minute and then Kansas. Um, I'm a licensed attorney in the state of Colorado. And um, I am a sheep fanatic and conservationist. I feel like that's a good 40,000 foot view of my life. <laughs> That's uh, that is pretty uh, pretty good, and uh, I love the fact that uh, we talk about sheep hunting. But the first thing that comes out of your mouth is conservationist. So that's pretty cool, and uh, and and you have a long history of that uh, within your family too. It's it's not just you you walk in the walk and talk in the talk. It goes well beyond that. But we'll jump into that in a little bit. So um, I guess for our listeners too, um, it sounds like you you're an attorney. Uh, uh, an accomplished sheep hunter. So you must be like 60 or 70 years old, right? To have done that. Um, and I think that's an important part of this. So I guess, you know, does age matter? Well, I think it's pretty fantastic when we look at your quote sheep hunting resume to acknowledge that. How old are you? I guess uh, roughly, you don't have to give us specifics, but. I'm approximately 72 years old. No, <laughs> I'm uh, 27. 
and say reverse those wow. numbers. Yeah, just reverse. <laughs> like it confuses yeah. people. Yeah, awesome. So I guess when you tell people that you've got your FNAS, you've done your uh, North American 29, you've done, uh, people are, think, oh, you need a lifetime to do that. But uh, yeah, let, let's let's talk about you, like how you got started. So when did you start uh, sheep hunting? I know it's in your blood, you grew up with it, but when did you go, when was your first, when was the first time you are on a mountain, I guess, with the family on on a hunt of any sort? Yeah. So I guess growing up, I mean, we really just did like deer and antelope and that kind of stuff around here, turkey hunting, um, never really big into mountain hunting. Uh, my dad, you know, would go down to New Mexico and go elk hunting, but I was always so small. So I never went with him. So really my first true like mountain experience, mountain hunt was, uh, my dad's doll sheep hunt in the Northwest territories. Uh, I was 14 years old. I wasn't able to get a tag. They had just uh, switched up the rules and regulations to where when you were 14, you could get a license, but it wasn't published yet. And so I wasn't actually able to get a license, but I was like, well, I want to go anyways. Like, why wouldn't I want to go, you know? And so that was my first full backpack hunt. Um, we were with Arctic Red. And then my first personal sheep hunt was later that fall in November. Uh, I drew a California bighorn tag on the John Day River in uh, Oregon. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk about. Uh, well, first of all, before we do that, so when I think of a fourteen-year-old girl, and I, I've got a couple, my sheep hunting partner Mike, he's got two young daughters, and he always talks about that, and it's like, well, it's pretty challenging to take a young girl on a, a backpack hunt. It's one thing if it's horse riding or you know, you know, spot and stock or something, but if you're like full-on backpack experience, so you know, what was that like, and and you know, how was it as a fourteen-year-old girl trying to to you know, conquer the mountains and the territories? I will say it was very intimidating. I remember us getting ready for that hunt and we lived on a hill. And so we would like put on our backpacks and I remember we were first doing it and we'd have like 10, 20 pounds in our backpacks. I'm like, wow, this is, this is pretty heavy. You know, I was like pretty small. And then I remember we just kept increasing and increasing. And so even just prepping for it, I was like, oh, there's no way we're going to have this much weight in our packs. And I remember getting off the plane and looking around me and thinking to myself, like, what in the hell did I get myself into? Like, this is insanity. Like I'm, I'm too, I can't do this, you know? And then I remember, um, when you're at Arctic Red, you're in the base camp, you kind of lay out all your stuff and pack your bags and all that kind of stuff before they charter you out. And I remember putting everything in my backpack and thinking, holy buckets, like I'm about to live out of this backpack for the next 10 days. Um, and I, again, I had no experience. I didn't really have like a woman mentor at that time. Like this is my dad's first sheep hunt. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was very intimidating. And I remember being in the mountains and thinking, okay, like I dig this, like, and I, a little bit of background, I'm, I am a little spiteful. And so if somebody tells me I can't do it, then I have to do it type of thing. And so I remember people looking at me like, ah, oh, this girl's not going to make it up the mountain. And I'm like, haha, I gotcha. Like. I can keep up with the dudes just as well as you can. Like, but yeah, it was, uh, looking at my first mountain. I was like, dang, this is, this is intense. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. There's that famous Jack O'Connor quote, right? There's no halfway. You're either a sheep hunter. Or you're not, you're, you're going to spend the rest of your life chasing sheep or you'll never do it again. It's not, there's no happy medium in there. So, um, very cool. Um, 
Okay, so um, let's fast forward to your first cheap hunt. So you drew a tag that same year that for that. Um, how, what's the story on that? You you said your first. Yeah. So uh, later that year, I had drawn a California bighorn tag on the John Day River in Oregon. Um, it's a once in a lifetime tag, and it's they don't have like a point system like a lot of states do. They just kind of everybody puts their name in their hat and it goes in once and they pull a name and it just so happened to be mine. And, um, I remember, you know, getting, they send out like a little postcard, like this is really before emails were like a big, big deal. I, I know that makes me sound like I'm like trying to age myself. I'm not like, we didn't get emails. You got a postcard and on the postcard, it's like mountain goat, unsuccessful elk, unsuccessful, everything unsuccessful. But then like after the bighorn, it had like this code and, we called and found out that I'd drawn a bighorn tag and I was like so shocked because you know I have friends who've put in for so long my dad at that point had put in for like 15 years um this was only my second year ever putting in and yeah so we went up to uh Oregon and we were on the John Day my dad went up there the week before I did because I was in school and um I flew up there to meet him and we had rented like this cool little cabin that kind of overlooked the river and you know, you could just hike from that cabin to everywhere where you were going to sheep hunt. So you were, you know, seeing tons of sheep and all that kind of stuff. And it was just like, you're right in the heart of it. Um, and I told my dad going into it, I was like, I want a heavy broomed old ram. Like, that's all I want. And he's like, well, like if we find that and like, granted, right. Like I'm 14. I didn't really know what that meant. And like now hindsight, I'm like, dang, like that's the epitome. Like that's what you want. Right. But as a kid, I was like, that's cool, you know, because I was 14. Um, And so I remember we were looking and we kind of walked out on this big peninsula. And uh, there was some, you kind of, you hunted from the top and you kind of looked down into the valleys and stuff. And so we looked down and there's this huge group of ewes and some young rams. And um, they kind of kicked up this old bugger. And he was bedded there. And we think he'd, we think if the other ones hadn't been there, we would have never seen him that he was just tucked into a little cliff. And um, he ended up being 14, the oldest ram ever shot in the unit. And they think he was from a lamb from the original um, transplant group, which is really cool. Uh, Yeah, 14, super heavy and like broomed off. Um, You could see his entire back, like his uh, bones and everything. And, I just remember sitting there and like just staring at him. Like I was like, what? Like this is, this is crazy, right? Like what a cool moment in my life. And um, I was telling Steve about this the other day, but I have a photograph. Um, You guys probably can't see it. It's on my bookshelf behind me, but it's a photo of my dad and I, um, and we're just hugging sitting next to this Ram. And it's, it's one of my favorite photographs I have. Um, yeah, so I mean that's kind of the long story short of my first sheep, fourteen year old ram for you know little fourteen year old girl. Yeah, that's actually that's probably the only time in history where the ram was born the same year you were that you harvested. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, right? Yeah. Like yeah. how many people? You know, you'd have to be fourteen to you know do that. And how many fourteen-year-olds are going to kill a fourteen-year-old ram, or thirteen-year-olds kill a thirteen-year-old ram? It's unlikely. That's that's a pretty phenomenal story when you think about it. So phenomenal. So now you think back, like that was your first sheep. Now you've 
you've been quite successful in your in your hunting career, uh, if you will. Um, does that one stand out as sort of you know the epitome or or the most pivotal, or or is there other hunts that come to mind that stand out as much as that one? You know, I think that that one is still so foundational for me, and really is like what kickstarted this passion for myself and after being able to speak with the biologists and kind of learning about the history of the area and how they thought it might be from the original lamb crop and all that kind of stuff. Um, that one's like really like foundational in my memory. Um, I would also say like a big one for me was I won the Colorado governor's tag at the Rocky mountain bighorn society banquet, um, in 2000, I said 2019. Um, and that one was really cool for me. Cause like my mom was on the board of directors for RMBS at the time. It was a $20 raffle ticket. It's my home state. Um, and it just so happens to be my largest Ram as well. Uh, he's, and he's just a behemoth, like, and he is super old and, um, we had him aged and the biologist said that he's up there in age. And, you know, after looking at his, kind of body composition like he probably wouldn't have lasted through the winter they get some pretty crazy winters down there um he definitely sticks out there for me and then I mean a lot of my international sheep I would say kind of stick out there just because every every trip internationally is totally different right like I mean not that there's anything I mean two doll sheep hunts like there's obviously a lot of differences in those but they're more similar than like a Altair Gali in Mongolia and a Marco Polo in Tajikistan. Um, but I would say as far as like my two favorite sheep, like if I'm going to point out any sheep to you or show you a picture, it's going to probably be one of those two rams just because of the sentiment and the history behind them, I guess. Yeah, and and the size and age, right? The fact that you're harvesting these old rams that are probably not going to live the winter, like that's the ultimate dream as a conservationist, right? Is to take take that animal off the mountain just as he's about to go on his own anyway, right? So that that's pretty phenomenal, and both those happened on on those two hunts, right? Yep. Yeah, I've seen I've seen cool. a picture of that uh, that one. It's an absolute monster, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's huge. What did he score, Maddie? Just out of curiosity. Uh, he was 191 and had about five inches broomed off of his left horn. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, his left one's got, so, like, got a weird kind of chip out of it, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, that, and that one was cool too, right? Like we had a bunch of our buddies come down there. And at the time I was in law school. So I like flew out for the weekend and, you know, just kind of everything together, just the camaraderie of it was also really cool. And, you know, he was by himself too, which like, I mean, trying to find a needle in a haystack type of deal, right? Like you're trying to find him in all the trees and stuff and you finally see him and you're like, oh, yes. like Phenomenal. So, okay, now correct me if I'm wrong here, but I have to say you're exceedingly friggin' lucky too, to to do. To draw that John Day tag uh, in your second year, to uh, win the, the governor's tag in Colorado, um, that those are pretty good, pretty pretty lucky, I would say, right? Oh, for sure. My parents keep saying they're like, "You're so lucky," because I the year that I drew the John Day tag, I also won a mule deer hunt in Utah and won a rifle at Wild Sheep Foundation, um, and then. 
I'm trying to think a couple years after that, I drew a moose tag. I've drawn a couple mountain goat tags. Like just, I mean, gotta get you to, I got to get you to buy my tickets. Good Lord. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, um, you've done a ton of mountain hunting. Um, you've done international stuff. Um, so, you know, when you're like, a, and, and you, you know, you're hunting, resume is is unbelievable when you start ticking off what you've achieved in in very young at a very young age but you know what what's the driving factor for you like um i know you hunt a lot with your your dad and your family that's really important to you so there's a family aspect you talked about friends um you know i know you've received a number of awards um you know what's your biggest driving factor is it is it the experience is it and i know it's never simple it's never just the one thing but you know what gets you on the mountain what really really drives you and what makes you want to be out there maddie would you say i would say i mean number one is definitely my family i mean that time i get out there and like especially with my dad i, I mean some of these hunts my mom and sister don't go on but my dad's there and I mean, everybody thinks it's cheesy, but he's my best friend, right? Like I can, I've spent more time in a tent with that guy. I've, you know, spent countless hours in planes and airports and on the side of a mountain. And I mean, he's genuinely my best friend. So like, that's a huge thing for me is just that time with him. Um, But then I would also say just like, this sounds so corny, right? But like, just kind of like the mental and physical benefits of being in the mountains is such a huge driver for me, you know? I've everybody has stress and anxiety in their life. And for me, just being in the mountains, it like clears all of that for me to where it's just easy, right? Like I'm in the mountains, I get to just strictly focus on that and focus on, you know, trying to find the biggest ram and trying to put myself in the best position. And, but then also like before the hunt, right? Like you have the prep and all of that, um, as far as like mentally and physically. So, I mean, I think honestly, like the biggest thing is just like being with my dad and then also like the mental and emotional and physical like benefits, right? Like I would rather spend time in the mountains. Like I joke, like if I could just be in the mountains every day, like I'd be the happiest person in the world. And, you know, and then you get to see God's creatures in the mountains and like, you're like huffing it up there. You're like wanting to die. And they're like, Ooh, this is easy. I'm like, dang, I wish I had four legs. Like that'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um okay so let, let's there's a whole bunch of things i want to dive into but um you know you talked about harvesting these old rams when you're on a hunt and and you've been on a ton of hunts um when you're out there is there an animal that you're out there to harvest do you have something in mind so if you go out and you see a beautiful you know younger ram uh, but it's maybe not something that you're used to is that something that's important to you or something that you're thinking about when you're going out in the field do you kind of have a preconceived notion of of what you want to harvest or or is it more just about the experience and and you know yeah maybe i'm lucky and and get something or 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 is there something you're like no no i'm i'm only going to take a a 12 year old ram for example or older yeah. So, I mean, I definitely, I, I think the biggest driver is like, I do want that experience for sure. But I, I, I will, je- I, I will admit, I have a notion in my mind of like, this is what I'm here to hunt. And like, I'm not going to shoot something smaller than that or younger than that. Um, you know, it takes a lot of time and energy and money to get to that position. So it's like, well, why waste it on something that I would go home unhappy with? And my, my thought process on that is like, it's already a heavy thing taking the life of an animal. 
And so I never want to be in a position where I regret taking that life because that's already such a heavy thing, you know? And so I always want to make sure that I'm happy with that animal and whether that's the age class or the size class, anything like that. Like I want to make sure that it's that when I go home, I'm going to, if I look at it every day, I'm going to be so stoked about that. It's there, you know, um, I've had opportunities on like some bigger sheep and they were real young and I just couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to do that because that's not, that's not the way I was raised. That's not what I think needs to happen in hunting. You know, I don't think it always needs to be a numbers game. I think a lot of the times it is like, okay, let's find the oldest ram and he's most likely also going to be one of the biggest because he's lived on this mountain for 12 plus years. You know, I've, I mean, for example, this year in France, I passed a ram that was, you know, a European mouffon or sorry, a Corsican mouffon that was six. And I was like, I can't do that. Like, and the guy's like, well, this is the biggest one we've found. And I was like, okay, well, I'll come back. Like, I'll eat the tag. Like, I'm not gonna shoot that ram just to shoot that ram to, you know, check that species off the list or whatever. Because anytime I'd go look at him, I wouldn't be happy with what I saw. And So I guess that kind of balances that like size and age thing as well as, you know, just trying to find something that really gets you excited about being up there. And, you know, you want to honor the animal in what best way you can and not just shoot it to shoot it. Yeah, right on. So I'm curious how, you know, and it's interesting, you're, you're an attorney professionally, obviously there's probably you associate people you associate with daily that, aren't hunters and, and such a big part of your life. And I know that you're not afraid to, to hide behind what you do. So when you're talking to someone like that, how, how do you communicate that, that you're not quote, just a trophy hunter, that it's not, you know, cause it, you know, it's, it's easy for people to jump to that conclusions, particularly you that can go out and, and, and has harvested a 14 year old ram and that would pa- pass on a six year old ram uh, or sort of that six year old Corsican um, mouflon. How, how do you, how do you go about um, articulating that to sort of, you know, as hunters, we kind of get it, but even s- some hunters would be like, oh my goodness, like, you know, there's probably some eyes rolling <laughs> by some people somewhere that's a hunter, but for the non-hunter that doesn't get it, how do you articulate that stuff? And, and does it ever come up? Do you ever have that conversation with people? Yeah, you know, I have that conversation a lot of the times. And I think, I think it surprises a lot of people, first of all, that I'm a hunter because I'm not, I don't necessarily present as like that typical stereotype of a hunter right and then on top of that like I'm an attorney and so I think people again that's not the stereotypical hunter as as people would say and so I think that people are always kind of confused when I'm like oh yeah like I was in Russia hunting snow sheep they're like wait what um and so I really try and approach the conversation from where I think that person is in the conversation right like if they're strictly like an anti-hunter, I know I'm not going to change their mind, right? Like I I can give them, you know, all the things that as hunters we know we're doing for wildlife, but I'm not going to change their mind if they're like, you're a murderer. But there's those people who I think are kind of in that middle ground who may be a hunter, but don't necessarily understand, you know, trying to find the oldest ram or, you know, passing up a legal ram for something bigger I think that you can broach those conversations and asking like where they're at in their hunting journey and like okay are you hunting just for meat are you hunting just to find the first legal ram like so I think that that's kind of 
I try and see more where that person is and then kind of approach it from my side and say, okay, well, as far as conservation goes and, you know, with what we see with sustainable utilization and breeding programs and all of that kind of stuff that taking these older rams is actually better for the population because they're either not breeding as much or, you know, it's the money from the hunt is promoting the hunt. Um, And then obviously like there's a huge factor of like meat, which like I've noticed if you bring up meat before horns, you're already having like the conversation almost starts off on a better foot. If that makes sense. Um, Just because everybody can associate with like wanting clean, organic, fresh meat. um, But less people are able to kind of have that conversation about the horns. So if you kind of start it with meat and then pivot it, if that makes sense, um, I think that there's lots of different ways. I think, but I guess the biggest way I try and approach it is like, see where they're at in the conversation and then give my two cents and then also be welcome to conversation. And okay, here's why I do what I do. And why do you do what you do? And, you know, I think no matter what people aren't going to understand, not everybody's going to understand where you're from or where you're going with it, you know? And I think that that's where it's tough, but if you can kind of meet in a middle ground that's comfortable for both parties, why not? Sounds like this, uh, that Steve should have you on the one campfire podcast. Or we've talked about oh, this before. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love her answers. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Very well said, uh, Maddie. So, you know, one of the things that I've noticed that you know, it's pretty obvious that for some reason, women will get a lot more bad rap than guys. Like, when it comes to, you know, I, I've seen more hate on the internet around women hunters, you know, especially if it's a quote trophy hunt or something like that. People just go insane around women. And I don't quite, uh, I don't quite understand that. I guess maybe they think like a pretty girl shouldn't be killing something. I don't, I don't really know what the logic is, but um, ha- have you dealt with much of that stuff throughout your, your life? Um, especially having doing it at a young age and a young 14 year old kid harvesting a ram a, a woman that, that the people just blows their mind. They can't understand it. So t- tell us a little bit about your experience with that, if you don't mind. Yeah. So kind of as far as like the hate mail and that kind of stuff goes, I've been very fortunate that I've received very little of that. Um, I keep a lot of my hunting very private. You know, I've been to a lot of places that people don't realize, you know, I've, spent quite a bit of time in Africa and hunted some of the beautiful species there. And, you know, Africa already has such a visceral reaction because of, you know, the Lion King and Madagascar and children's movies. Um, And so kind of keeping that kind of stuff out, out of like social media and that kind of stuff. But I would say, and it's funny I say that because like I've received the most hate for what I've hunted in Africa. I posted a picture with a leopard and, Um, a a girl that I went to high school with went on Twitter and was like, screw this gal, like all this kind of stuff. And I, I mean, I've met her once in high school. Right. Um, but as far as like with sheep hunting and stuff goes, like I haven't received some of the like hateful posts and emails and phone calls and death threats. And I think part of that is I've kept it so private and, um, that's kind of also how my parents have been. We really wanted me to be able to get through school without having some huge thing in like the media, you know, and having it go viral or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so our goal is really to get through like 
high school and my undergrad and law school without anything like that so that it didn't detriment like wasn't detrimental to my education um but then even as far as just being a woman in the outdoor space uh it's it's never easy right because there is this preconceived notion that as a woman you're either frail or you're supposed to be in the kitchen or you're not good enough to be there and so I do know I do find myself you know trying to show up every time as the best version of myself. And I used to be the girl that was like, okay, I got to be like one of the dudes, right? Like I'm the best here, big and tough. Like, let's talk like one of the guys, like beat my chest. And I'm not like that anymore because it's like, what good was that doing? Like then you're, you're stigmatizing women who are more feminine in the outdoor space by trying to conform to this masculine idea. And so as far as like, out of social media and like the horrible things I've seen some of my friends go through. I'm very fortunate. I haven't had that, but still in the outdoor space, I think it's still difficult to be a woman and show that you're worthy of being there, you know? And I think that that's, it's even sucks that I have to say worthy of being there. Like I'm just as good as the last guy, but because I'm a chick and not a dude, I have to prove myself more. (laughs) Yeah, I think we could argue that you're better than the average guy. And uh, oh yeah, I'll throw my name in that hat. Oh yeah, you got me beat. Our, our good, good, good friend Daryl Hosker always reminds me. He's like, "Well, when you made the cover of Wild Sheep Foundation, she goes, look at that. That's a real hunter. It was, it was so funny." Here and Daryl. Oh, oh my, my god, I love Daryl. He is the best. <laughs> We're on oh. the Wild Sheep uh, Awards committee together, and we like to throw wrenches in all of our conversations. And I'm like, one of these days they're going to kick us both off the committee because we're just like causing shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Daryl, uh, Daryl's hilarious. And, uh, but, uh, uh, I, I just love how, uh, you know, and, and certainly that when that, when you're on the cover of, uh, Wild Sheep, he, he, he's like, oh, the, yeah, there, there's a real hunter. He's got so much respect for you. And Daryl's done a lot of international hunting and stuff too. And, so, um, you know, when, when he's you're getting his accolades, I think uh, it's well-deserved. Um, so, very cool. So, let's talk a little bit about um, some of your, your experiences. So, we talked about some of your early sheep hunts and stuff like that. Um, and I know, you, you know, Steve has mentioned, you, you know, you've achieved your finaz at a young age and uh, a number of awards. And I know you guys are big supporters of Grand uh, Slam Club Ovis as well. Um, you know, is there anything that stands out as an achievement kind of in the awards section? Um, and I know you do serve on the Wild Sheep Foundation's awards committee as well. And, um, you know, you're very uh, involved with the international stuff. Is there something that stands out that's an achievement for you and in, in that you've done? Or, or is that kind of just part of what you do? You know, how does that fit into it, the awards part of it? You know, it, it's always nice to be like recognized for doing something over the top and really cool. Right. And so it's never been like a driving factor for me, that's for sure. But it's never, I mean, it's never a bad thing to get recognized for doing something, especially as a young woman, right? Like I, there's, you know, I guess the one big award that really sticks in my head is uh, this year I was honored as the youngest person, not woman or man, youngest person um, to finish an Ovis world slam super 20 by grand slam. And, that's basically 20 different species of sheep around the world. And to me, that one sticks out because it's like, first of all, sheep are kind of my driving factor in life. They're my passion, right? And they're 
promoting what I do on a day-to-day basis, right? Like today I tortured myself in the gym because I'm getting ready for a sheep hunt. And uh, so kind of getting to recognize those sheep was just a really big deal for me. And then also to prove to other young women, like, hey, like I'm 27 and I went on all these sheep hunts and I'm a young lady and I went to Turkey and Tajikistan and Mongolia and Russia and all of these places. So like you can do it too. And so I guess it's less about like the recognition of the award, but also proving to young women like, Hey dude, you can do this too. Like why not? And so I guess that award like really sticks out in my mind of like being the youngest person and also being a woman is pretty sweet in my opinion. <laughs> what did, what did you finish the, uh, the 20 with? Uh, my Marco Polo in Tajikistan. Yeah. Yeah. It's like double curled. It's, oh yeah. Another monster. <laughs> Jealous. He's on my bookshelf too. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> I hope so. I would too. But yeah, so, so that was a cool hunt for sure. Um, so, uh, with a hunt like that, um, how, I guess when, how long it, I guess it's taken you, uh, what, 17 years to do that or is it 13 years? 13. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Wow. Crazy. Um, so now you mentioned wild sheep specifically. What, what is it with wild sheep? Why, why wild sheep? Why not another species? Is it? Because of the because uh, where they are pushing yourself, you talked a little bit about that before. Is that what it is? Is that the driver? Or? Yeah. So I mean, growing up in Colorado, I was always near the mountains, so I have a huge passion for the mountains. Just hiking, backpacking, fishing, quadding around, and so I mean, obviously, it's a huge plus to be in this beautiful environment. But honestly, one of the biggest like driving factors is like I love mentally and physically pushing myself to the point of like wanting to break you know and so on so many of these hunts you're like pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and like I can't take one more step and it's like hell yeah you can like you're getting up that mountain whether you like it or not and so that mental and physical pull of it is just so cool and then I think I mean I mentioned it earlier and I I know a lot of people might take issue to this but taking the life of an animal isn't an easy thing right? Like the hunt should never be strictly about pulling the trigger. And so for myself, like it gives me that much more respect for the animal, knowing that I had to work my butt off to get to that animal. And it, it just gives me that much more respect when you walk up and for this animal, it's easy, right? Like they can climb these mountains day in and day out. Like I swear they have like little suction cups when they climb some of these cliffs and I'm like, dang, I wish I had little suction cups. Like, that'd be sweet. But I think it's honestly just this idea for me, at least, of like, I'm going to push myself to the point of like breaking. And it just gives me that much more respect for the animal and makes me want to keep doing it. Um, A lot of people laugh at me, but when I get to the top of a mountain, and you'll see this, if you ever see like a video of me, I'm most likely dying laughing at the top of a mountain because I just think it's so funny as humans, we've like created airplanes and helicopters and like domesticated horses, but yet our like dumb butts are like hiking up the side of a mountain on our two feet. Like, I just think it's the funniest thing ever. And every time I get to the top of a mountain, I'm like, wow, you're so dumb. But like, it makes it that much more worth it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you talked about uh, being the youngest person to get your Ovis 
uh, Super Slam 20. How is there is there something else? Is there a next step? Is there something else that you got on your? I know there's always push, and that's part of hunting. You're just always pushing yourself to get over that next ridge. So, is there a award that's kind of on your list right now that you you know you're working towards right as we speak? Yeah, so I've been a little hush-hush about it, but um, here in about three weeks, I'm headed up to British Columbia for a stone sheep hunt, Um, and if I'm successful, that will finish my fourth finaz, Um, and I'll be the only woman to have ever done that, and um, obviously one of the youngest people to have ever done that, and so that one's like pretty exciting for me. Um, I kind of have a vendetta with stone sheep. It's the one sheep that I've been the least successful on and, you know, gone the most days on a hunt with. And so that's kind of, I mean, that's the nearest one. That's the one that's the next one on the horizon. And I'm really excited. I mean, obviously I'm excited just be in the mountains, but I think it'd be cool to kind of, I mean, that's where I finished my first slam was in BC with, uh, terminus mountain outfitters and so i'll be finishing my fourth with terminus mountain outfitters and you know when i finished it the first time it was dale drink call and now it's craig kisselback but it's so that's the next big one and then after that honestly i don't really have i don't know that i have one that's like the next one on my brain you know i um was pretty fortunate i finished my capra 20 as the youngest person um back in february and so now it's just kind of like just digging it, you know, and I'm hoping to get to some more cool places right now. I'm currently trying to push for another, uh, central Asia hunt here soon, but that might be a couple of years. So. Cool. So if I said to you, okay, Maddie, you can only pick one hunt. You can either go hunt in Asia or you can do a North America sheep hunt. Are you going to Asia or what are you, what are you going to do? What's, what would, if you could only do one more hunt, like what love, whatever they, you get to pick one, which would it be? What would be that hunt that you would go and do? Fanaz aside, fourth Fanaz aside. <laughs> I genuinely would love to go to Pakistan and hunt either their Uriel or their Markor. Um, I've heard just such phenomenal things. My dad's been four times and um, my mom was like, you're not going to Pakistan when he went, I would think I was 16. She's like, heck no, you're not going to Pakistan. Um, but I've heard just such phenomenal things about the people and the culture and the sheep and where they live. And it's just always been, I'm like, it's on my short list. It's my number one bucket list animal, um, would be a Mark war over there, but I would also love to hunt a Uriel or an Ibex. I just want to see the country because one of my, like some of my closest friends have been there and, I just, I want to go so badly. Um, but if Jan still vetoed that, then it would probably be Nepal. I would love to get a blue sheep in Nepal. Um, that one just seems like one of the more extreme as far as pushing your body to the extremes. Very cool. Now, on that note, um, you talk a little bit about that there with regards to, um, you know, being 16 and a woman and going to uh to Pakistan. Is that a concern as a woman um, when you're doing these international hunts? Obviously it's not North America, but when you do some of these international hunts, is that something you need to be concerned about? And, and, you know, I know it's already dodgy going to a lot of these areas. Is it dodgy going as a woman? Is it something you need to be concerned about? Um, so for the most part, I've never really experienced that much 
um, backlash being a woman. I think I'm pretty fortunate. I go with my dad and he's six foot six and nobody wants to mess with him. Um, and so I'm pretty, I'm pretty safe in aspect. Um, I would say more often than them, me feeling unsafe, they more treat me like a, like a piece of China, right. That I'm like fragile and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm just as capable as the next guy, you know, um, I've, I've had a couple of experiences where, you know, I mean, I have bright red hair and so that can get a little concerning in some places they want to touch your hair or they want to just like be up close. And, um, in some of the Muslim countries I've been in, they've asked me to cover my hair, which I've happily done out of respect for the country, just because, you know, we're going into a local rural area where the women already cover their hair and, um, but never really felt like a safety concern, but more just respected their like cultural things of, you know, covering my hair or, you know, I can't go into a home without um, like the guide or the outfitter or whatever. So less on the safety, more just following their cultural stuff, I would say. Yeah, right on. So one more thing for you. When you're going these hunts with your dad, I know, you know, he's your primary hunting partner. A lot of these hunts are with your dad. Is there a competition? Is it a friendly competition? Or is it like, no, dad's hunting this, I'm hunting this? Or are you out there like trying to outdo each other? Is there a little bit of that going on? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there always is, right? But where it's, I, I generally always get to shoot first, just because that's how my dad is. He's like, okay, I want you to get yours first, and then I'll get mine. And but there's always like a friendly competition of like, Oh, my, like I shot a little bit further. Mine was a little bit bigger, you know? And for the most part, like I would say it's pretty equal in who shot the bigger stuff just because, you know, just because I might shoot first doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be the biggest Ram on the mountain. Um, and so, and there's also times where if we go and they know of like one big Ram, like he's not going to be like, Oh, well I get to shoot it. Cause I'm the dad, you know, um, but there is always like funny, healthy competition. And he, he likes to mention like, oh, well, you know, my shot was this far. And I'm like, okay, dude, like I can't shoot that far. Like I can shoot far, but I can't shoot that far, you know? And so there's always like this healthy little like jabs and stuff. And it always adds like some lightness to like your stories and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, he's, he's a funny dude in that respect. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, so let's uh, tell it. Talk, talk us. Tell us your most like scary story to, on the mountain. So, and actually, maybe it's getting getting there too, and maybe it's a, you know one of your overseas experiences. But is there something that stands out where it's like, holy shit, that was that was dangerous? So I'm like trying to think of like a time on the mountain. So a time while I'm thinking about on the mountain, a time not on the mountain, when we were in Ethiopia, um, they had political protests and shut down the entire country. And so we were stuck in the middle of the political protests. I will say that was one of the hairier situations I've ever been in, like being in like a little, uh, like a land cruiser sitting in the backseat. And they didn't want to hurt us by any means. They were mad at the government, but just sitting there thinking like, wow, this could get really scary really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say as far as like not on the mountain, that was one of my scarier experiences. Um, there was w- at one point when I was on my Markor hunt in Tajikistan, um, they had found out that I could pretty much climb wherever they climbed. It might take me a couple seconds longer, but I would do it and I wouldn't complain because 
my translator spoke English, but kind of broken English. And so I was like, oh yeah, like I'll go up there with you guys. And we, I remember we went up, we normally went up like the right side of the Canyon. And this one day we decided to go up the left side of the Canyon and we ended up, we were able to ride horses like halfway, which was already like kind of freaky because there's a ton of snow, you know, and the horses are trying to get their traction and we tie up the horses. And I remember we kind of like looped around this one part of the mountain and this is going to sound so funny, but I'm like mildly afraid of heights. Like, so I suck at being on the side of a cliff. Like that just really freaks me out. Um, don't know why always has like, I can jump out of an airplane. Doesn't bug me. Bungee jump. No big deal. But something about being on a cliff on the side of the mountain really just like freaks me out. And we kind of like go up around this and I remember the snow like breaking under my foot and me like panicking. Cause I'm like, what am I supposed to grab onto? Like more snow, like the snow is just going to keep going. And we kind of like get up there and I like sit down in the snow. They're like, Oh no, we got to keep going. And I was like, nah, I'm good. I need to wait for a second. Like I need you guys to just chill. And they're like, no, no, like we got to go. We got to go. And I was like, okay, bye. Like, see you later. Like I'm going to stay here for a second. And I remember like getting when I stood up and I looked over, it's like this sheer cliff. And I was like, okay, that could have been horrible. Right. And, and like in hindsight, like I was totally fine. Like I would have been able to catch on to something. Somebody else would have been able to help me. But just the idea of like being in the snow on the side of this cliff when I already don't love heights, like really freaked me out. And it's funny, I ended up shooting like not far below that, like, on a snow patch on the side of a cliff and so like kind of funny like hindsight it was funny you know but that was definitely one of those situations where I was like pretty freaked out um I've been super fortunate right like I haven't had any major falls I haven't broken any bones um you know I've had guides and wranglers get like injured and stuff which is always like really freaky but never had any like plane scares or helicopter scares. Um, so pretty fortunate in that respect, mainly just sketchy cliff crossings. Yeah. And that's the thing you spend so much time in the mountains. You're, you know, your, your, your odds are much higher of that happening. Right. So, you know, somebody that's out there once a year and does a 10 day sheep hunt. Well, but you're, it's not like that's the case with you. You're pretty active in the mountains. So you're definitely increasing your odds of getting injured or something happening. So, And, you know, I've, I've definitely learned as I've gotten older, like I need to be more prepared when I'm going into the mountains. And like, you know, when you're younger, you just kind of like expect everybody to kind of like take care of you, right? Like, oh, somebody else will have the sat phone or somebody else will have the first aid kit or somebody else will understand avalanches. And as I've gotten older and started doing a lot of this stuff on my own, like, my stone sheep hunt here in a couple of weeks, I'm a hundred, like I'm on my own with a guide and like don't have anybody else with me. And so it's like, okay, so I have to know all of this stuff. And so learning how to be more prepared in the mountains has been like a fun thing to learn, but also like kind of daunting because you don't realize like, okay, all the things you need in a first aid kit and like, okay, got to make sure my inreach is charged up or like, okay, what do I look for with avalanche awareness and all that kind of stuff. And so even just learning as I've gotten older of like, okay, if I'm going to be in the mountains, I know I need to know how to be in the mountains by myself so that I'm not going to like end up on the cover of a magazine, like, or the cover of the newspaper, like girl doesn't know what she's doing and dies. Like that wouldn't be fun for me or my family. Like, <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and then the other side of that too is you're always constantly preparing for your next hunt too, right? Like I always find, you know, all year I'm planning and, I, you know, I've got this on my mind or whatever. And, you know, there's, of course, the training like you talked about. You're in the gym going hard for your next hunt. But, you know, doing your gear and all that stuff, it's preparing for the next – you know, it's almost like you're there, right? It's not as good, but it's the next best thing, right? Yeah, and I think that that also adds to the hunt, right? Like I think a lot of people, especially people who don't hunt, think that like the hunt is just the trigger part. But it's also like, okay – pushing yourself in the gym or like prepping your gear, cutting down pounds, like doing all the stuff that leads up to it is just as much fun. Like I I was spending way too much time the other day researching um, walking sticks. So I I was just like, Oh, like I like to take one, but I don't like to have the long one. So like maybe I'll get one of them that like breaks down into pieces, but then like you start looking at the stability and all that kind of stuff, you know? And I enjoy that, like just the way my brain works. I like to like get into the nitty gritty of what's the best of the best and can get a little rabbit holy. But I think that also adds to the experience, right? Of knowing like, first of all, I think then it makes you more comfortable in the mountains, right? Like you're, you're confident in your gear. So then you're more confident in yourself. And so then you're more confident in the mountains, Absolutely. So what, uh, what, what walking sticks did you go with? So I didn't end up buying one. <laughs> okay. So I still have, uh, I have a set of black diamond ones. Um, and my thought process was, I was like, Oh, I wanted to get a fold down one, but if I'm going to be carrying my tripod, I'll just strap it in the same pocket with my tripod. And it doesn't matter that it doesn't fold down. But the ones that I was recommended were the likey, 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 L I K I. Um, they have a set that folds down and they're pretty small about the size of an Nalgene as far as height goes. And they're pretty sweet. And the reviews are good, but maybe I'm just a creature haven't, of habit. Haven't pulled the pin yet. So would you, are you going to go with a single stick or two? I'm a single stick person. Okay. Yeah. Right on. If yeah. I've, I've tried double sticks, but I get, a, I get a little clumsy cause then I start to like rely on them and kind of forget that I have legs and it's like, that's not helpful because then I'm like, oh, I have four legs. And it's like, no, you have two and you're over relying on your walking sticks. Yeah, right on. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I feel like I can't go without walking sticks anymore. I used to, if my first couple times I hunted without them and that was fine. But then once you use them, you're like, oh, no, I, I need something. Yep, completely yeah, completely agree. <laughs> definitely feel that. Yeah, I was going to say, like, when I was younger, I definitely, like, I always had one and then I was like, Oh, this is a great plan. And then I stopped using them in that time of like beat my chest. I'm really cool. Like none of my guys were using walking sticks. So I'm going to be one of the guys and not use a walking stick. And then I noticed I'd go really slow downhill because I was so terrified of going downhill and getting hurt. And then I was like, okay, just carry a walking stick. Like who cares what, like your guy probably wishes they had a walking stick when you're packing a hundred pounds off the mountain. Like don't be silly. Just, do what's best for you. And so now I just carry one. Um, right. And I'm very thankful that I do. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. So one last gear question. Is there a piece of gear that's a must for you? Is there something that stands out? It could be an inreach and maybe it's a walking stick. Maybe it's, maybe it's a rifle, maybe this certain rifle you like, but is there something that stands out that like, that is the piece of gear that you will not go anywhere without that uh, you're, this thing's coming with you no matter what you do. Yeah, so it's actually it's a very recent purchase, but um, I recently got an inReach, and for me, it's been 
it's been such a great thing mentally of knowing that like I like pay for the SOS button or whatever. So where if I ever got injured, um, I could, you know, flip that switch and I have all of the capabilities of getting out safely. But then on top of that, it's really helped. It's helped um, like my family, right? Like, so then I'm able to contact my mom or my sister if I'm across the world. And, you know, we always had a sat phone, but you know how reliable sat phones are. You know, you have a 10 minute conversation and really only like two minutes of that is talking because of the delays and it dropping and all that kind of stuff. And so it's been really nice to be able to like contact my sister and my mom and be like, hey guys, we made it to camp safely or hey, I got this RAM. And also being able to share those moments with my family of being like, I got this RAM. Um, or look like look at, I obviously can't send pictures, but like today we tried some weird delicacy in Mongolia or whatever. I didn't have it when I was in Mongolia, but Tajikistan. And so that's been really nice. And then I, it's also nice, like when I'm spending time in the mountains, um, I've recently gotten into climbing the Colorado 14ers and I do it a lot by myself and with my dog. And so that's been nice too, like a sense of safety. And then also with my family, a sense of like safety of like, you know, you have it and I have the freedom plan so I can cancel it any month. I'm not using it, which is really nice. Um, kind of stays on a lot during the summer and the spring and the fall. So really don't turn it off much. I should probably just do the expedition <laughs> plan or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I've got the in reach and I've got the, the freedom and I turn it off when, uh, when I'm not hunting, it's going to go back on in September, October till January, and then off till May when I'm bear hunting. So yeah, it's super, super lifesaver. Yeah. And you know, it has the, it has some mapping features and like I have the app and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's honestly just been one of those things where it's probably more of a luxury than a necessity, but it definitely gives a sense of like calming and a little bit of anxiety relief knowing that like you can connect. Oh yeah. I did that fly in last year. Was it yeah, mid September? And I was using my inReach to talk to Kyle because our plane hadn't showed up and he was able to call the, uh, the, the lodge and find out what's going on. And we ended up not coming out till three or three days later. So good thing we had it because we were all ready to go at the lakeside between 10 and 11 in the morning and, five in the afternoon well no plane so yeah definitely it's a it's a nice feeling to be able to connect for sure cool um okay so let's segue a little bit here maddie and just touch base on uh conservation i know that uh you know your family is are dedicated conservationists your mom and your dad and you and your sister um you know where did that you know, is this something you just grew up with? Is this something, and I know you're very involved with the Wild Sheep Foundation uh, and and beyond that too. So let's just talk a bit, little bit about your conservation ethic and where that came from. Yeah, so I wouldn't say we really grew up with that, right? Like it was, a lot of our hunting was really just subsistence hunting, just kind of trying to put meat on the table and that kind of stuff. Oops, sorry. Um, trying to put meat on the table and that kind of stuff was like the biggest thing growing up. And then we really kind of got more into the conservation after we started sheep hunting. Cause it was like, you know, there was kind of a dedicated community to it. Um, and I remember going to our first sheep show and that was kind of where it kind of started this idea of like, okay, well, if this is something we want to continue to do, like we also need to figure out how we can support that and maintain that so that 
not only ourselves, but other people can go and do it and see these creatures and appreciate them for what they are. Um, and so I would really say it really didn't start off until like after we started sheep hunting, we went to our first, um, sheep show. And then kind of from there, it's been one of those things where it's like, you get so like into the idea of like sheep and sheep hunting and you're like, it kind of becomes ingrained in your brain. And then you're like, okay, how can I help it? What can I do? And so for my parents, they were, you know, they became really big supporters. My mom became, went on to be on like the board of directors for Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society and for um, the Wild Sheep Foundation. And, you know, she's on different outreach things like one campfire. And, you know, then we slowly kept growing. And then it recently it's been more becoming members of some of the more local chapters and affiliates like Wild Sheep or uh, Wild Sheep Society of BC, uh, Texas Bighorn Society, like all of that kind of stuff. And so it's just kind of been, we've been given this gift, right, of being able to financially do it. So how can we also financially support it and be able to use our voices in supporting this in whatever respect we can. And, you know, that's been my mom's big calling with sheep is like, she has such a wonderful way of being able to talk about things to where it relates to so many people. And so she's really able to use that. And, you know, my dad being a powerful, successful businessman is able to, you know, talk to other guys in that respect. And so I think that they've kind of taken their gifts and been able to turn that to conservation. And then for me, you know, it's been, I'm developing this career around conservation and trying to support, you know, um, conservation, whatever, since I can with this job, but then kind of, you know, I guess if you ask like, what is the pinnacle for us? It's like being able to make sure everybody gets to do what we've done. Right. So like if I can go to, you know, BC on a sheep hunt, like how can we support conservation at BC so that, you know, the next guy can go on a sheep hunt in BC. And I think that that's kind of been, at least I think for my dad and I, and I would say probably for my mom as well, driving factor in, in our idea of conservation and where we're going with it. And, you know, and obviously you want to see these species stick around for a really, really long time because they're freaking majestic, you know? Yeah, well said. Absolutely. Well, yeah, we're just so grateful for for everything that you and your entire family does for for conservation. And I know the Wild Sheep family, and like you said, you know, it, it whether it's Wild Sheep Foundation proper or a number of its chapter affiliates, you guys have touched so many of us in different ways and in really positive, wonderful ways. We're just, um, and I've had the the luxury of working with your mom on the board of directors uh, through one campfire. And we're just so grateful for, for everything that she does as well. So yeah, it's really, really cool. Okay. So, uh, when's your sheep hunt? When are you, when are you coming up to Canada to BC? I leave on August 9th and I'm going to overnight in Fort Nelson. And then I, uh, fly into camp on the 10th and then I'll okay, be there cool. for about, uh, two weeks, fly out somewhere around August 24th. So, awesome. so you guys aren't coming in for the opener. You're coming in the second week. Yep. So, well, so my dad will be up there for the first week. So he, uh, bought the, it's called the minister's tag, right? I always get confused between governor's tag and minister's yeah, tag. Everybody has all these weird names, but so he's up there right now, um, hunting stone sheep. Um, and then he's able to also have an outfitter's tag. So he'll also be there for the opener 
Um, and then I'll go up on the ninth. So I'll be the second weekend or second trip in, I guess. So he, he's got awesome. two chances wow. to get a bigger stone than you. Yeah. <laughs> but where I have, where I'm benefiting is I'm going to, hopefully the plan is as of right now is I'm going to backpack into an area that hasn't been nice. tested in a couple of years. So, you know, fingers crossed. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, that's awesome, Maddie. <laughs> well, and how, how long is he up there for? Is he up there for like the entire time, like for 20 days? Yeah. So, I mean, he got up there July 10th um, and he'll be there through until he gets a ram. Okay. Yeah. So, and is he going to stick around for you? Nope. (laughs) Okay. He has, uh, so he kind of went a little, uh, crazy. Well, that's fine. I don't really care. It's my dad. I can say that, but he, uh, has (laughs) back to back stone sheep hunts in BC and then he flies up to, uh, Dawson city and he's going to hunt with midnight sun for uh doll sheep. And then after that, he flies to the Northwest Territories for a doll sheep with uh, Knoll. Wow. Awesome. That so is so cool. He just decided to go a little crazy this fall and just kind of st- spend some time up north. I mean, I think it's so tough, right? Like we didn't get to go up north with COVID and all that kind of stuff. And so I think he's really been drawn to that. And, you know, with business, I think it's it's always good to get out and get hunting. Hmm. Can't argue <laughs> yeah. with that. I, I expect a text when you get back into signal, like how you did. I want, I want that. Oh, absolutely. I'll be like, I'll send something cryptic. I'll try and think of something <laughs> funny. Awesome. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, Maddie, I want to thank you for your time today and uh, just congratulate you on all your achievements. And, you know, I just love watching, you know, your, your life basically on, uh, you know, your different hunts and experiences. And, uh, and then just, you know, for me, the conservation side of things is so important to me and just what you and your family continues to do. And like I said, you know, working with your mom, Jan on the board of directors with the foundation and all her volunteer work, it's, uh, you know, ladies luncheon is the, you know, it's become, it's not quite as good as the life member breakfast because I'm on that committee. Just saying, but uh, um, aside from didn't the, the, didn't the ladies' luncheon make more? <laughs> hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! Oh, <laughs> shots fired. Go, we don't need to go. Shots there. fired. <laughs> I was just thinking uh, we need to bring up the bet that they were trying to make at uh, well, this year. <laughs> yeah, we we maybe have to get Glenn and uh, your mom on here, and we can battle that out one day too. But. Uh, but uh, no, just thank you so much and uh, congratulations on all your achievements. And I just love the fact that you're just getting going that, you know, you're, you know, you're 27, you got your whole life of hunting ahead of you and it's just going to be great to watch. And I, uh, I expect we'll see you more in the conservation arena as we move forward too. So thank you for everything. Well, thanks for having me guys. It was always fun to chat with you and talk hunting. Absolutely. And uh, maybe we get you back after your uh, your hunt with um, with Craig and see how that went and maybe get uh, get filled in on your uh, stone sheep hunt. Yeah, for sure. I'm, fingers crossed. I'm hoping it goes well. Awesome. <laughs>